Hey, how did it go? I mean, I, I don't get it. You spend the better part of a decade in a company, working, sweating, showing up, all for that one chance of moving up, and, and then you get that chance, and it's right there, there for the taking, and you walk in, prepared, even wearing a suit, and you bomb it. I bombed it. <laughs> That's it. Well, you know, sometimes when God closes a door, he opens a window. Where's your window, Carl? Where's your window? Well, hey everybody, welcome to Eaglebert Church. It's really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses, and I want to welcome you to 2016 as well. I've got good news for you. The days are getting longer. Not necessarily warmer, but they are getting longer. Another piece of good news for you is that you made it through another year. You're alive, right? That's worth celebrating a little bit. And then final piece of good news is that this Christmas... We had 49 services across our six campuses, and we had 48,620 people attend, but it gets even better. In the last two weeks, we have had among kids, students, and adults, 735 people put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's incredible to see what God's doing. feels like an amazing momentum for our church as we head into this new year. And so if you're one of those people that put your faith in Christ, or if you're new to our church today, kind of starting out 2016 with church, I want to welcome you, and I want you to know Jesus Christ loves you. He wants a relationship with you, and it's really my hope and prayer that this church will be a big part of your 2016. As you saw from that video, we are beginning a brand new series today called Dumb Things That Christians Say. And I'm a little bit paranoid that they named this series after me, because I say and do a lot of dumb things. In fact, every other day, it seems, I have to apologize to my wife, Sarah, for something. For example, around our house, it's my job to take the garbage out. But lately, I keep forgetting. And so recently, on a Friday morning, I'm sitting on the couch, just comfy in my sweatpants, when all of a sudden, I hear the garbage truck pulling into our neighborhood. And so I called out to Sarah. I said, hey, did you take the garbage out? She said, no, that's your job. Quick, get out there and meet him before he leaves our neighborhood. But I was so comfortable on the couch. And so I said, could you do it? And bless her heart, she put on her boots and her coat, and she began to ran, run that garbage can down our driveway. And I went over to the window, and I just got to tell you, it is so funny to watch somebody running with a garbage can. It's so awkward and funny. It was hilarious. I called all of our kids over to the window. I said, you got to see this. Mom is running this garbage can down the driveway. When she got in the house, we all told her how funny it was. She didn't think it was quite so funny. I had to apologize for that one. Then this past summer, our family was going to a family camp for a week. And two days before we were going to leave, I was going to mow the lawn, but it was raining outside. And so instead, I decided I'm just going to pack up everything. I'm kind of a madman when I get my mind set on something. And so I packed up all the kids' clothes, all their toys, all the food, all the snacks. When Sarah got home, I said, all I need you to do is pack up one thing. 
If there's any medicine that you want to bring for the kids in case they get sick, that's your responsibility. So we get to family camp, and of course, my oldest son gets the flu, and he's got a temperature well over 100, and so I say to Sarah, hey, where's that bag of medicine? She said, well, I put it right by the other luggage. You must have brought it out to the car this morning. I said, uh, no, I didn't. I said, there was no bag by the other luggage. And I'm not kidding you, we got in the biggest fight ever over this. And that's how we started our week at family camp. We went out to the car, we searched everywhere, we couldn't find this thing. Finally, after a week of family camp, we loved each other again, we had moved on. And so when we got home, with kind of a smile on our face, we went running into the house to try and find the bag. I wanted to prove her wrong. Couldn't find the bag anywhere. Two weeks later, she called me at work and she said, I found it. Don't you want to know where it was? I'm not telling. <laughs> it was in the center council of our van. I had brought it out just like she said that I did. And I can remember that the van was so full, I couldn't find a place to put it. And so I stuck it in there. And I can remember thinking, oh, I hope I don't forget that I'm putting this in here. I had to apologize for that one as well. Point is, it doesn't seem like a day goes by that I don't have to ask somebody in my life to forgive me for something, which is why I believe in this next statement so much. Your relational success is dependent on your ability to give and receive forgiveness. The difference between a good marriage and a great marriage is three words. Please forgive me. The, the difference between a decent relationship with your kids and a relationship that's tender and intimate is three words. Please forgive me. Relationally successful people, whether it's at home, work, or school, have developed the ability to give and receive forgiveness well. In fact, if there's a relationship in your life right now that's struggling a little bit, could be a marriage, could be with a sibling, a, a friend, a coworker. My guess is it's because one or both parties have struggled to give or receive forgiveness. What makes this so challenging is that many of us here have been hurt badly by another person. You know, maybe for you, somebody said something about you that wasn't true, and their criticism or their gossip has hurt you in a really deep place. Some of us were abused. And you can still picture your abuser's face in your mind today. It's like you can feel the fear and anxiety all over again. Some were cheated on. Maybe it was by a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it was by a spouse. And that moment that you found out was one of the worst of your life. It felt like for just a second the entire world stopped moving. Some people will say to you in those situations, they'll say, well, you just got to forgive and forget. Just need to move on. You just need to get over it. You need to shake it off, shake it off kind of thing. <laughs> but how do you shake off abandonment? How do you shake off abuse or addiction? How do you just move on past a betrayal or lies? Thankfully, you don't have to. Today's message is titled, Forgiving Means Forgetting, because that's a cliche. It's not true. And I believe that today, God is going to set many of us free. Free from the bitterness and resentment that comes with unforgiveness. 
because you're going to discover that you can genuinely forgive another person, but also not put up with hurtful or harmful behavior. This idea that forgiving means forgetting is actually derived from the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, God is speaking and he says this, I will forgive their wrongdoings and I will never again remember their sins. Some Christians will say that when it says that God doesn't remember our sins, that he can't even recall them. So you might say to God, you know, do you remember when I stole that candy bar in second grade? And God would be like, no, I have no idea what you're even talking about. The idea is that somehow God gets spiritual amnesia when it comes to our sins. But is that true? Because the Bible makes it clear that God knows all things. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything past, present, and future. So it would seem odd that God can't remember our sins in the sense that he can't even recall them. Truth is, when you dig a little bit deeper into this verse, you discover that that's not what this verse means at all. In fact, when the Bible uses the word remember, it often does so in a relational sense of the term. For example, in Genesis 6, after God has flooded the earth, it says that God remembered Noah. Now, does that mean that an angel had to tap God on the shoulder and go, hey, did you forget about Noah? Turn the hose off. You're flooding the whole earth and he's sitting on that boat. And God's going, oh yeah, now I remember Noah now. No, that's not what that verse means. What it means is that Noah was on God's mind. He was going to renew his relationship with Noah. In the same way, when the Bible says that God doesn't remember our sins, it means that our sins are not on his mind. They don't prevent us from having a relationship with God. In fact, when it says to forgive one's sins, it literally means to cancel out a debt. So when the Bible says that God forgives our sins or he doesn't remember our sins, it means that he has canceled the debt that our sin owed. Jesus affirms this definition in his most famous teaching on forgiveness, which is found in Matthew chapter 18. And this teaching begins with a question from the disciple Peter. He asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? It's a great question. How often should you forgive somebody who has sinned against you? Some people will say, once. I give you one mulligan, and after that, we're done. Other people will say, three times. You know, three strikes and you're out kind of thing. Peter feels like he's being pretty generous here when he suggests the number seven. But listen to how Jesus responds back to him. Jesus says this, no, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. Now, the, in the Bible, the number seven was often used symbolically for completion or for perfection. And so when Jesus says 70 times seven, it's unlikely that he means 490 times. But if somebody messes up 491, well, then you don't have to forgive them for that. Most likely what Jesus means here is that you should always forgive. He then goes on to give a parable that teaches why. Listen to this story. Jesus says this, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. 
When he began to settle, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him 10,000 talents. Now let's pause here for just a moment because a talent isn't a form of currency that we're generally familiar with. But in the ancient world, one talent was the equivalent of 180 months wages, 15 years. And that's just one talent. This guy owes a 10,000 talent debt, which would have taken him approximately 2,232 lifetimes, not years, lifetimes to pay off this debt. Here's another way to look at it. The minimum wage today is $7.25. If you work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 at that wage, you will make $15,080 a year. Just a little bit above the poverty line. Now that may not sound like a lot of money to you, but when you multiply it by 150,000 years, which is what it would have taken this man to pay off his debt, you're looking at a debt of $2,262,000,000. I want you to remember that number because I'm going to come back to it. $2,262,000,000. But for right now, just suffice to say, this is a massive amount of money. Which is why the next verse says that this debtor, he couldn't pay. So the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything that he owned had to be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and he begged him, Oh, sir, be patient with me, and I'll pay it all. Then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Can you imagine? Guy owes you over $2 billion, and you say, you know what, it's okay. I forgive the debt. You don't have to pay. But that's not where the story ends. Immediately after leaving this king's presence, this debtor goes to one of his own servants, who owes him money, and he begins to shake this guy down. He's like, come on, pay up, pal. And this servant gets on his knees, and he begs for patience. He says, I'll pay it up in full when I can. Sound familiar? Even though this debtor has just been forgiven a debt of over $2 billion, he throws his own servant in prison until he can pay up in full. Word of this gets back to the king. And so Jesus concludes the story this way. It says this, Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven. And he said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. Jesus then concludes, That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive others. I see at least three truths from this story that apply to every single person's life here today. The first truth is this. God specializes in unfair trades. When I was a kid growing up, I loved baseball cards. I loved to collect them. I loved to play with them. I loved to trade them. And whenever I was trading with someone my own age, I had a very simple strategy. I would try to trade a bad Twins player for a good player from another team. And so one time I was trading with this kid in my neighborhood, and I traded him a Tom Nieto. Nieto was the backup catcher for the Twins at the time. He was decent defensively, couldn't hit a lick. 
I traded him for a Dwight Gooden rookie. Now, Dwight Gooden ended up flaming out because of drug use, but at the time, a 1985 Fleer Dwight Gooden rookie was worth between $50 and $100, which for me as a seven-year-old was an absolute fortune. I went running home and I told my dad, I said, Dad, I just traded the neighbor kid a Tom Nieto for a Dwight Gooden. I said, I don't even think he knows who Dwight Gooden is. My dad made me, made me trade it back, said it was the right thing to do. But that's not a bad trade, right? A Tom Nieto for a Dwight Gooden rookie. As good of a trade as that was, it pales in comparison to the trade that I made with God when I was 19 years old. When I was 19 years old, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I traded him my sin, and in exchange, he gave me his righteousness. It's the greatest exchange I've ever made. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. It says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. When God looks at us, Jesus Christ became sin. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees his own righteousness instead. Let me break this down for you. We trade God our sin, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. God specializes in unfair trades. In fact, in the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, the king, of course, represents God, and the debtor represents each and every one of us. Have you ever thought about the fact that your sin had accrued a debt of over $2,262,000,000? It's actually more than that. It's an infinite number. But when you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to pay that debt Instead, Jesus pays it for you, and he gives you his righteousness. He gives you the hope of eternity. He gives you joy everlasting in paradise. Psalm 103 says that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, and he certainly doesn't. God specializes in unfair trades. Second truth from this story is this. Forgiven people forgive people. If you have been forgiven a debt by God of over 2,262,000,000, then it's really challenging to look at another person and go, yeah, but I'm not going to forgive you. This is Jesus' whole point in his story. He says this, he says, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In other words, when you begin to understand how much mercy and forgiveness God has shown each and every one of us, it's really hard not to extend that same mercy and forgiveness to another person. If you're a follower of Christ, I hope you'll take this seriously. Because the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Doesn't say you should forgive others. Doesn't say, you know, if you feel like forgiving, go ahead and do that. He says, must. This is an absolute non-negotiable. But I can already hear some of your objections. Maybe as C.S. Lewis once famously said, everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. And maybe that's you right now. 
Maybe you're thinking, you know, I, I love the idea of forgiveness. This is great. I'm all for this. But then you think about that one person in your own life. And you go, but they don't deserve to be forgiven. And you don't know the things that they have done to me and the ways that they have hurt me. And I would say to you, you're right. I don't have any idea the things that they've done to you. And I don't presume that you shouldn't feel the way that you do. But I want to show you a video clip from the bond trial of a man named Dylan Roof. On June 9th of this past year, Roof walked into Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. But he wasn't there to study the Bible at this Bible study. Instead, he opened fire and he killed nine people because of the color of their skin, never once pausing to notice that the color of their blood was the same color as his own. At his bond trial, family members were allowed to address him directly. Take a look at what they said. One of the statements that didn't make it to the nightly news was by a man named Anthony Thompson. Thompson had had his wife, Myra, shot in the shooting, and he spoke these words to her accused killer. He said, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity to call you to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Jesus Christ, so that he can change your ways no matter what happens to you and you'll be okay. Do that and you'll be better off than you are right now. Where does a human being develop the capacity to forgive like that? A columnist for USA Today, who I'm not sure if he was a follower of Christ or not, was dumbfounded by this. He wrote in a column the next day, he said, It was neither expected nor explicable, that forgiveness. Such forgiveness is unseen in the animal world. Zebras don't gather together and forgive the lion that killed their mother. He says it's unseen in the animal world, it's illogical in the rational world, and it's even nonsensical to common human nature. Such forgiveness is humanity as it, at its most human, he writes, or perhaps its most divine. People will often ask, do I have to forgive somebody who hasn't asked to be forgiven? And that's a challenging theological question, but I'm reminded of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross, suffocating to death, beaten and bloodied, nails driven through his wrists and through his feet. And in that moment, he surveys the crowd of his killers, and he prays these words to God. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Do you want to know who your unforgiveness hurts the most? It hurts you. It hurts me. Bitterness and resentment, the offspring of unforgiveness, are toxic to your soul. Even secular researchers are beginning to discover this. In fact, if you were to read articles on how to prevent cancer, you would find medical doctors, some of whom have no faith commitment to Christ, they would say to you, if there's a person that you need to forgive, go ahead and do so now. One study found that unforgiveness leads to higher blood pressure, depression, and a shorter life span. And so let me ask you, is there a person in your life right now 
that you have unforgiveness towards. Every day there's a little more bitterness. Every day there's just a little bit more resentment. When you realize the infinite amount of mercy that God has shown each and every one of us, let us extend that same mercy to another person. Forgiven people forgive people. Third truth that comes out of this story is forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. One of the overlooked parts of this parable is that after the king forgives his debtor, he clearly doesn't forget it because when he finds out that this debtor hasn't been forgiving his own servants, there are some consequences to pay. In other words, it's possible to genuinely forgive someone but also not put up with bad behavior. I've been in one fight in my entire life. I was in high school. It was, oh, I was playing some snow football with some guys who lived in an adjacent neighborhood. And there was this one guy whose name I'm not going to mention for fear that he somehow sees this and tracks me down, <laughs> who somehow didn't get the memo that we were playing two-hand touch. Because at one point, he went up to the littlest kid and he pushed him as hard as he could, like 10 feet into a snowbank. As if that wasn't enough, just to finish off the job, he went over and kicked the kid as hard as he could twice in the stomach. Now, I later found out that this guy had been doing steroids most of high school, which made him prone to fits of rage and also incredibly ripped. If I had known that information, I probably would not have done what I did next. Because I walked over to this guy, I spun him around, and in my best Chuck Norris voice, I said, hey, knock it off. The little kid who had gotten kicked literally picked up his ball and just went home. He was crying. He just walked in his house. All the other kids dispersed to their homes, and I started walking towards my car to drive back to my neighborhood. As I did, I realized that the steroid guy was following me. And he kept yelling out, you want a piece of me? Do you want a piece of me? No, I did not want a piece of him. <laughs> and so I just kept walking quietly to my car. But right as I was about to get to my car, I felt this little tap on my shoulder. And I was so naive in high school, I honestly thought he was going to apologize. So I turned around with a smile on my face and he hit me in the side of the head right over my ear. I fell down to one knee and I was seeing stars. But when the stars were gone, I thought, it's on now. And so I jumped up and just started flailing at this kid. But the problem was I was wearing my Michigan starter jacket, which was like nine sizes too big for me. Yes, I was the white kid from Wyzetta who wore FUBU and starter jackets and listened to Ice Cube music. And it really didn't pay off in this moment because this jacket, I was swimming in the thing and could not even get a punch in. Finally, he punched me right in the eye and that pretty much ended the fight. Now, a few weeks later, I was leaving a party late at night when I looked over and I see this teenager walking by himself alongside the road. And I realize it's the steroid guy. And I had this radical thought. I thought, I wonder if I just pull over and clip him a little bit and then pull away if I could get away with that. But that's a felony, so I did not do that. But then I had an even more radical idea. I thought, what if I pull over and offer him a ride just to show him I'm not scared of him? So I pull over and I said, hey, can I give you a ride someplace? And he looked at me you know, very weary, like, where are you going to take me? 
But he ended up getting in. I drove him to his destination. And as he was getting out of the car, he turned to me and he kind of mumbled, hey, sorry for beating you up a couple weeks ago. I said, you didn't beat me up. I got a couple good shots in there, boy. <laughs> but in that moment... I felt like I had genuinely forgiven him. I was able to move on and not think about it again. But guess what? I never played snow football with him again. I never became good friends with him again. Because it's possible to genuinely forgive another person, but also not put up with bad behavior. You can forgive your mother, but you may not want to have her over for Thanksgiving next year. You can forgive your brother but you may not end up being best friends with him ever again. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, a person's behavior is so destructive and it is so painful that you don't just shake it off. You don't just move on and pretend that it didn't even happen. Healing is a process. Forgiveness takes time. And sometimes a relationship isn't even possible. I want you to hear the story of a woman who has had to forgive in some pretty incredible ways. But she has also set up some boundaries to protect herself from bad and hurtful behavior. I asked this woman if she would write her story up for you to hear. Take a look. I have lived a very traumatic and chaotic life. Sometimes I think my story reads more like a script from an episode of Law & Order than real life. I was not born into a loving home, and my parents fought constantly throughout my childhood. They were finally divorced when I was seven. Immediately after their divorce, I lived with my mom. She didn't want me spending time with my dad, but I still saw him every once in a while. One night, everything changed. I had just turned 10, and my dad and his fiance had come over to visit. My grandpa was babysitting me at the time, and they got into an argument. The fight escalated and ended when my grandpa shot and killed them both. Right outside the door of the bathroom I was hiding in. The sights and sounds of that night have haunted me most of my life. For years, I would have flashbacks and nightmares of being curled up behind that toilet. I've never felt so alone or scared. My grandpa was charged with first-degree murder, and he went to prison. I couldn't understand it. I spent the next several years living with my mother, being emotionally, verbally, and physically abused in ways that are hard to imagine. Looking back, I can see how she controlled me by keeping me in a constant state of fear. As I got older, I started to question the events surrounding my dad's murder. I learned that my mom had manipulated my grandpa into thinking I was in danger of being harmed by my father. She had convinced him that the only answer was to kill him. My grandpa, who was overly protective of me, had followed through and regretted it ever since. I was heartbroken. I looked at this information as unforgivable. I'd grown up to have a wonderful husband and beautiful children, and I knew that if we were going to be healthy, I had no choice but to eliminate my mother from my life completely. In 2011, my family was invited to Eagle Brook by a neighbor of ours. One of the first services we attended was about forgiveness. I watched Pastor Bob interview a mother whose only son 
had been killed by a gang member 18 years prior. She talked about visiting her son's killer in prison and how she had forgiven him. That day, I saw the two of them on stage together and witnessed the love they now had for each other. I didn't even know forgiveness on that level was possible, and it had a huge impact on me. I sought out the help of a counselor to try and figure out how I could truly forgive my mother for her involvement in my father's murder and the years of abuse I had endured. After spending months talking about it and letting God shine his light on those dark moments of my life, I realized I had the ability to forgive her. It was such a freeing decision. I hadn't realized how much pain I had been carrying around. I was finally able to start healing. After six years of no contact with my mom, my husband and I sat down with her and I told her that I had forgiven her and I wanted to try and rebuild our relationship. However, I couldn't forget all that had happened in the past. And I told her that in order to protect me and my family, it would be necessary to have boundaries in place. She could not text me, call me more than once a day, see my kids, ask for money, or ever come to my house. Although it was difficult, I lovingly explained why each of these guidelines were important and made sure she understood the consequences of not respecting them. It hasn't been easy, and I hope that someday such firm boundaries won't be needed, but for now, Having them in place has allowed me to try and rebuild trust with my mom from a place of safety rather than fear. I can honestly say that forgiveness has set me free. I was able to release the anger, bitterness, and resentment I felt toward my mom and replace those feelings with love and empathy. Surrendering it all to God has allowed me to experience more joy and healing than I ever could have imagined. I feel like I have a clean slate and I get a chance to write a new story for my family. As you came in today, you received this key. Go ahead and take that out right now, if you would. This key represents the power to set another person free. In your hand, you have the power to forgive someone, to cancel their debt, and to set them free. Not only that, but this key represents your own freedom. Some of us have anger and resentment just locked up in our heart. Anger towards our ex, bitterness towards an in-law, resentment towards a former friend, family member, co-worker, or classmate. And today, God wants you to release that. He wants to set you free. But it starts with three words. I forgive you. And so let me ask you, who is that person in your life that you need to forgive? Who is that person that you have anger towards? Who is that person that you even just have a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of resentment towards? Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean that you put up with hurtful or harmful behavior. But when you think about the ways that God has forgiven each and every one of us, let us extend that same mercy to another person. Set them free. 
set yourself free. You have the key. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer at all of our campuses. God, as we stand before you right now, I'm just struck by how much mercy you have shown each and every one of us. How much forgiveness we've received from you in our life. And so God, we thank you for that. We live with a gratitude for for the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. God, help us to extend that same forgiveness to another person. As we have sinned against you, as you have forgiven us for our sin against you, help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. God, I pray for power. I pray for courage. I pray for strength. That this week we could forgive. We could cancel the debt. And we could be set free. We pray all those things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need prayer for anything at all, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.